You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. Hey, this is Ariel Hawani, host of the MMA Hour on the Vox Media Podcast Network. Each week, we interview the biggest names in the world of mixed martial arts and beyond. So tune in live every Monday at 1 p.m. Eastern over at MMAfighting.com or download the show afterwards on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and wherever you get your podcast. We'll see you then. Welcome back to the Limited Upside Podcast. I'm Mike Prada, and we're doing another team preview that I'm super fascinated by, the Boston Celtics. This is number 27 of 30, and man, that's a whole new team, did so many huge things this summer. There's way too much to talk about with this team to fit into one hour, but we did our best, and we think we hit most of the big notes. We've got Paul Flannery from SBNation.com. You know him well and good. From the website, he's based in Boston. Nobody knows this team better. We've also got Nick Gelso from CLNS Radio and Celtics Blog to kind of give a little bit more of the fan perspective on what this whirlwind of offseason change has been like for the Celtics. And we go through all of it. We go through the Isaiah Thomas trade. We talk about how Celtics fans feel about not having him. We talk plenty about Kyrie Irving. We talk a lot about Gordon Hayward. We talk a lot about how these guys are going to fit in. And we talk a lot about the other second run of Celtics players, the young guys, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum. Where did they fit in? So many new pieces to plug in, so much uncertainty with how this all works, but a lot of excitement, maybe too much excitement from some Celtics fans. But this has been a really, is a really interesting podcast. This is really an interesting team to think about. Can they hit the ground running after all the stuff they did? We'll touch on it in this show. This is a limited upside podcast. We're part of the Vox Media Podcast Network. You can find us on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a review. We love the five-star reviews. Let us know that we're doing a good job. If there's anything you'd like us to fix around, we appreciate the constructive criticism as well. You can also always, always send us questions for this show by tweeting at us at limited underscore upside or by hitting me up at MikePreda at SBNation.com. You can also find us on Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, and all the places that you get your podcasts. And, of course, on SBNation.com. Team preview number 27 to 30. We're almost done with this. The season is almost here. This is the Boston Celtics. This is the Limited Upside Podcast. Welcome back. Limited Upside Podcast, Boston Celtics preview, a team that made a lot of changes, a lot of upheaval. They finally go do all those big changes that we anticipated they would make at Sunday, but they did it this year. Team preview number 2730. We're thrilled to have two friends of ours on the show. Paul Flannery, you all know him, SBNation.com featured writer. Uh, Paul, how we doing? We're good, Mike. We're good. Yes, season's almost here, and we also. I, have a- I'm so I'm so annoyed. I'm sorry. I mean, interrupt your your introduction, but I'm so annoyed that the season is already here. It's too early. It is. It's ten <laughs> days early, and it's it's funny how we've had to structure this these podcasts out, and we had to start way earlier than we anticipated. I remember Ben looking at me. He was like, "Why are we doing these in August?" And I was like, "Well, look, we only have this many days left before the season starts, and you don't want to do one every day, do you?" Anyway, we have another special guest. Our uh, first time on the show. Nick Gelso from Celtics Blog and CNLS Radio. I did get that right, didn't I? 
C C O N S. Yeah, that's all good, man. Hey, no more, not as many back to backs, guys. It's okay if it starts a little early. Yeah, but we are still not on back to backs. We still have back to back to back to back to back to backs watching the basketball. I've been covering this league for ten years straight. And I'd covered it earlier in my career, but for the last 10 years, and there's a certain rhythm that I had come to expect from this league mm-hmm. that is totally thrown into chaos by this new schedule, Adam Silver. So while I understand <laughs> why you're doing it, you have also messed with my world. Yeah. And, <laughs> and that's what they should know first. That's a no-no. <laughs> Speaking of a team that really threw a loop into our window this year, uh, major changes including in August when it's supposed to be the downtime of our schedule, getting Kyrie Irving. Now they have 11 new players off a team that won the Eastern Conference regular season last year. Nick, what do you think, if you could describe the mood of the fan base in a single word, what would that word be right now? Overexcited, maybe? High expectations. Now, two words. You can go two. Two words, high expectations. I think out of the gates, let's let's temper expectations just a little bit. These guys got to get familiar with one another. And I, I think fans are really, really excited and have high expectations right out the gate. Paul, do you agree that people got to calm down a little bit? Oh, yeah. But, I mean, that's in general. But, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you can say that for, like, every team on the board. But, yeah, I have been sort of taken aback a little bit by the idea that uh, a team that people really liked and enjoyed got broken up, smashed into a thousand pieces, and everybody's like, yeah, cool. All right, let's go. I, I just think that's a little strange. Like, I don't, I'm not saying it's the wrong take. I'm just saying that uh, I just think it's a little strange. Uh, well, Isaiah is still on the buses out here in Boston, so, you know, I still think he's on the team maybe. I don't know. He is. He's, I had pictures of Isaiah Thomas are still on the buses. Well, that, that's a great metaphor for uh, where this team is. They're not even ready for how much change <laughs> they've gone through, uh, for sure. Uh, we do have Ben here. Hey, guys. Us. Sorry about being a little late there. To, uh, thank you for being on time. I ben, appreciate that. Ben was, very, <laughs> ben was dreading talking about this team uh, because they are the Celtics. Let's start, though. It's, with, not, even, it's not even true, guys. Uh, it's more out of jealousy <laughs> and envy than anything. <laughs> I told you you would soften your. I told you you would soften up when you got to the Celtics preview. Yeah, well, it's a lot of things, guys, but it's mostly because I had to watch your, I don't, your B team last night play against the future of the 76ers and and have a lot of, a lot of question marks on yeah. that. But anyhow, sorry about that. Yeah. So let's talk about uh, the big change and what Paul mentioned, which is kind of weird. It's like they have a whole new team and everyone's like, "Hey, cool." There are a lot of emotions I think that went into that Isaiah Kyrie trade, um, and I know. So for some of us, it's been a little bit of a challenge to work through like, wow, Isaiah Thomas isn't on the team anymore. Mr. Celtic isn't on the team anymore. Is that, I mean, Paul, do you think that's something that's just like in our own heads or do you think that might affect the team this year? Is just the, the, um, the large emotional gap that has now departed with Isaiah, with Jay Crowder, the Celtics way sort of thing. Well, there's only four guys left from last right. season. So, I mean, the, the most tenured Celtic is Marcus Smart. Like, let's think about that. Uh, you know, like everybody from five years ago is gone, including Olenek, who was the first draft pick of the sort of rebuilding era. They're all gone. So I think it's going to be a little bit of an adjustment for Jalen Brown um, and Marcus, maybe, and uh, Rozier. But, you know, like it's also I think Jalen as much as anyone, because that was his first year in the league. And this is what he got used to very quickly and really adopted into into how they think about things. And then it all changed. And so for a kid like that, 
you know, it's it's uh, it's definitely a wake up call that the NBA is not quite, you know, it's not college anymore and, and, and things change a lot. So I think from, you know, within a locker room, I don't think there's that much of an adjustment period for that. It, other than there's 11 guys who now have to learn how to play with one another. So, you know, I mean, like I was in a locker room the other day and I, I don't know where anybody's locker is anymore. It's crazy. <laughs> right. And, you know. It's like I used to know I, you go to that corner. That's where, you know, Rondo was. That's where Perk was. That's where Tony Allen was. You knew where everybody was. Now I'm like, I had no idea where anybody is anymore. So for me, it's a big of adjustment. And I think for the fans, it'll be an adjustment. But I don't, I don't think for the players, it's going to be that big of an adjustment, honestly. Do you think it's the type of thing that Brad Stevens embraces change from that college mentality? And this is sort of just like within the coaching roots of, of how he you know, interacts with roster turnover? I think no, and I talked to Brad quite a bit about mm. this. And spoiler, we have a I have a giant <laughs> Celtics uh, piece coming out in our preview uh, later this week. But um, you know, I think Brad is uh, really uh, well well wired for something like this. In that, um, Brad 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 just looks at what he has and figures out the best way to make of it. Yeah. And he does. He's not he's not nostalgic, and he's not someone who gets particularly hung up on emotion. And so, you know, it's like, okay, this is the hand that I'm dealt. So now I got to figure out a way to make this, make this work. And that's, that's Brad's mentality in all this. I'm curious about the, the fan part of it, uh, Nick, in this idea that there was a whole big discussion that opened up after this trade and we will get to the on-court implications shortly, but I'm fascinated to hear how you feel and how Celtics fans feel about this with Isaiah Thomas, you know, and loyalty, uh, being a two-way street you know, I can't remember this sort of conversation opening up about a trade where it's, you know, we haven't focused enough on on how the Celtics did Isaiah. Maybe not wrong, but you kind of reveal the mo- the business where he comes back from the terrible family tragedy and all that and plays in the playoffs, and then they trade him away. I, I don't remember that even being like a discussion with transactions in the past. Do you think like how does Celt at this point like how does Celtics fans have they reconciled that? Or is there still some sort of uh, thought there that's like, yeah, this might be what's good for the team, but there's something that doesn't quite feel right, uh, whether it's you know going to help the team or not, about how they handled that trade? I think, I mean, I think fans are, are getting over it. There were a lot of number four jerseys in the stands last night, uh, and I've noticed that in the two preseason games I've been at. But I, I think the theatrics, the histrionics of the initial jolt of the trade have now faded and uh, through preseason and in the games that they played, I think they see that the potential of this team is, is, is high. So Celtics fans are emotional. They're cliff jumpers, but they're pretty smart too. And uh, you know, as far as uh, disloyalty goes, I mean, I hate to use the cliche, but it is business, right? I mean, Isaiah, Isaiah Thomas was not going to play until January or February. The Celtics want to compete now. They did not want to sign him to a max contract. Uh, I don't think they would have signed him to a max contract either way. I don't think the Brinks trucks comments helped any of that. Um, so, you know, I mean, I, I love Isaiah. I, I, I enjoy covering him, and I think he'll he'll do well in Cleveland if they they sign him to a max deal. And um, I, I, I'm ready to move on. I think fans are starting to get ready to move on too. Now, Isaiah, I don't know. He's still putting trolling Celtics post. I saw something on Instagram yesterday he commented on. So, I mean, but it is, it is as much as it, it may be a bad face for the franchise to have traded a guy who, who made those sacrifices in the postseason, playing through injury, through tragedy. Um, it's also kind of a tribute to the, the team that 
a guy of Isaiah Thomas's caliber really didn't want to leave. Like they had to like really carry him out the door. I think yeah. he just wanted to stay here. Yeah. What's interesting about this whole discussion is I, I, I don't know if it's like a good or bad thing the way it, it's just all is handled. I just don't remember a trade happening and us actually covering this side of a transaction. But I think it speaks more to the technology and, and, and the times. I mean, right. Uh, you know, back in the day, you know, Will Chamberlain getting cha- traded from, Golden State to Philly or whatever it was, vice versa. There was no social media. You couldn't hear the players' real take on it. And Isaiah was extremely vocal about, you know, not wanting to be traded. So, you know, we have access, fans have access like they've never, to, into the minds of the players is like they never have before. I know every time I go on Jay Crowder's Twitter handle, I get a headache from all the capital letters. I mean, they just, <laughs> they, they tweet now, you know. Yeah, I feel like that's a huge part of this, right? This under or this idea that we are supposed to know these people on a personal level, that we have an, a, a relationship with them that extends outside of the you know the court. Um, that's definitely played in here, but like I, I don't think you can really separate the idea of a little guy who punched up, you know, being that blue collar mentality or whatever. That's something any fan base wants to associate with. But the the clear cut way to get past that is win, and this Celtics team is going to do plenty of that. Yeah, and and well, one one last little issue here is that, you know, uh, the 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 Isaiah team got too good. Yeah, they weren't supposed to be that good, you know, and like that's so true, uh, which is weird to say, but it's true. And you know, it, we talk about them winning the Eastern Conference. I mean, they won the Eastern Conference because the Cavs stopped playing for the last three weeks of the season, right? I mean, some of this <laughs> looks a little more cosmetic than it did. That was a forty-eight to fifty win team that achieved what they could achieve. I mean, if they lost, they were down two out of the first round of the Bulls. If they get if they get run out of that series, nobody's nobody's crying for any of these guys coming back, right? But yeah. and so that team achieved so much, and it, they were fun. I think they were legitimately fun. If you did not, if you hate everything about the Celtics and you hate the Leprechaun and you hate the Garden Floor and everything else, that team was still. Kind of, Who are you talking to right now? <laughs> on a Wednesday night against somebody. Yeah. You know, draining like 25 threes in the fourth quarter and Isaiah leading a comeback and pointing to his. I mean, that, that team was legitimately fun. But I think Celtics mm-hmm. fans in general always understood that that team was not going to win a championship and that there was going to have to be changes. It just so happened they changed everything. It, the, the team almost took on the, the chip on Isaiah's told, a shoulder. You know, you mentioned the, the small guy punching up. I think that that became contagious last year, maybe even the year mm-hmm. before, to where they just overachieved and overachieved. And everybody, especially Boston fans, love, love that. Hard play and playing with your heart on your sleeve. And I agree with Paul completely. I, I think that it, it, it definitely um, re- re- um, definitely had an effect on the entire team. And they, they picked up on that culture and that mentality and, and played within it. And that, that was fun to watch. Yeah, and you got to see the implementation of what Stevens wanted to do through the lens of, again, a smaller team, a team that could you know, execute uh, team basketball. And, and, and I can't get back, you know, past this point here too, but like, there is something about watching Isaiah. It's visceral. Mm-hmm. But when you see someone that little who is that dynamic, you get behind it. I mean, these are just, you know, but X's well. and O's of being a fan about basketball. Also, guys, I mean, like, you know, I don't want to get too hung up, make this whole thing about Isaiah, but he was a good guy. <laughs> like, you know, I mean, I, I spent a little time with him. I wrote a big story about him. Um, he's one of the only players that ever came up to me afterward and thanked me for the story that I wrote, which is a little <laughs> off-putting. Um, I mean, in a nice way, but I was like, I didn't know how to react yeah. to it. Um, and 
Yeah. I mean, it's like the opposite. (laughs) Yeah. Isaiah, I mean, like I live in Cambridge, I live outside Cambridge and you'd see him around and like, there's a great story where he just showed up at a playground and shot hoops with a 12 year old kid or 14 year old kid who just gotten cut from his high school team. I mean, like, come on, he's a, he was a good dude and people loved him, you know, not just, not just because he was this little guy doing all these amazing things, but because he was like, yeah. And oh, by the way, he made it clear to everyone that I want to be here. I want to be the next Celtic yeah. player. And, you know, I, every time he said that, I, in the back of my mind, I was like, dude, this is not going to end the way you want it to not end. happen. And, yep. And, 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 you know, I like, honestly, as a human being, that kind of sucks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's uh, it's too bad. But this is a lot of Isaiah talk, but I'm just fascinated by this. This I also think, I mean, Celtics fans have seen a lot of winning. So I think there's also a little bit of we understand what it takes. Sure. And I think in other in other fan bases, maybe this would have been a bigger blow. But for the Celtics fan base, it's sort of like, yeah, we've seen, you know, key players leave. We've seen our culture continue. Um, you know, we're not losing sleep over this nice 48-win team that we've broken up. Right, and transactionally, too. It was always house money. The fact that Isaiah was here was right. house money. It was all part of Ainge's larger picture that was, you know, being drawn to where we are now. Yeah, let's talk about the now, though. So the return they get. Paul, were you surprised that they traded um, – all that they trade to get Kyrie Irving? At first I was, yeah. And then, I mean, I think I think the hip injury plays an awful lot of it. Um, you know, they, they right. were not in a position of strength because, because of that. And they felt like that they needed to do something because they had gotten Hayward to sign. They had gotten Horford to sign the year before. And, you know, this is they're trying to build a team where free agents are like, yep, this is this team is going to do everything they can to win. And look, they don't have anything behind. They don't even have anything behind Kyrie, but they didn't have anything behind, um, you know, Isaiah. I mean, we would have been looking at Marcus Smart and Terry Rozier playing 48 minutes of point guard. And I'm not sure, you know, that's not. That's not an optimal situation for this team. It's certainly not optimal for Hayward. It's certainly not optimal for, for, for Horford. And so it came down to, you know, they, they wanted to keep Tatum. And it was Tatum or the pick. And the Cavs wanted Tatum. And they said, you know, they held on to the pick. And they traded the pick, ultimately. I, I was a little surprised. It's also like, you know, saying goodbye to the Brooklyn pick era, which was kind of enjoyable. Right. <laughs> but I think it was, you know, symbolic in a way, too, in that, like, those days are over. That's gone now. Like this is who we are now. It's yeah. We they, we still got pick stash. We still got a, a lot of a lot of goodies in the in the jar. But those days are over. This is our, this is this is the team now, and that's what they're saying with it. Yeah, it feels like you got to a good place where you can feel comfortable knowing that the, the Nets picks are over. Which, by the way, should become um, with Patriot Day, right? Is a uh, with a Red Sox play a real early baseball game. They should have Nets Pick Day. Um, <laughs> well, what could, day would it be? The you lottery. Could, you can make it. Yeah, it could be the lottery. That's a good job, Mike. Just uh, okay. an unofficial title. But that was something that definitely like uh, transitioned a franchise to where you want to be. I couldn't think of a more natural fit for Kyrie than with these players around him, where he has a defensive partner. And I want to talk about how Kyrie fits into the larger picture here. Uh, and Paul, I'd love to get your thoughts on on this too, as as kind of part of that. Kyrie makes a lot more sense when you see him on a court in the uniform with Marcus Smart, with Rozier next to him, with Hayward. When, what were your first thoughts from the initial preseason games, uh, the training camp, of just actually seeing this play out, uh, I- you know, in the flesh? Well, it's interesting. I mean, I I I, I never put much stock in preseason. <laughs> I'm sorry, sure. I just don't. I put way too I much know, in there. So, yeah. <laughs> I, and I already shared the story of the Slack message you sent me this morning sorry, about faults. Thanks, guys. I really don't put a lot of stock into it, but they look different and they look sleeker and they look faster Mm -hmm. and they look like um, offensively, at least. I mean, it was so hard for them to score points 
last year. It was and that you know their offense actually graded out fairly well. It was their defense that was a, that was problematic for most of the year, but that was mainly because of Isaiah. And then they would go on these runs where everybody's making threes. But you know now they've got guys who can actually create, and now they don't. They never have to have a spot on the floor uh, in, during a game when they don't have a creator on the court, a, a legitimate all-star level creator between Hayward and and Kyrie. And yeah, I mean, you know, the, you look at some of the guys they have around them. Marcus Smart is a really nice compliment to Kyrie, especially defensively. And they switch so much. They switch on just about mm-hmm. everything that like. You know, like they did a great job of hiding Isaiah defensively. And, you know, somebody said to me, you know, we had the 30th worst defensive point guard in the league. And now we have the 29th. And like, so they're still going <laughs> to be that. But you don't have to you don't have to hide him in the same way you had to hide Isaiah just because of the size factor. So, you know, I, I, right. as a long way of saying it looks pretty decent. I'm not sure it's as good as it, it needs to be for, for talking championship. But you you look at this team and the fact they've been together for like two weeks. Yeah, it looks looks not bad. And Nick, how do you feel like Celtics fans are taking to Kyrie and how he looks? I mean, last night for on uh, Monday night, they were the fans were chanting Kyrie. So I think that they've pretty much taken to it. And to piggyback on what Paul said as well, I've been doing that a lot in this on this show, but it was it's nice to see multiple players being able to really initiate the offense where I think last year it was a lot of, uh, Isaiah ball in the ball in his hands and, and a lot would go through Al, but see this season and through two games, two games where everybody played, seems like so many multiple players can initiate the offense, which allows Kyrie to play off the ball too, which is super exciting. Uh, so to, to answer your, your question, I mean, from what I've seen from the fans, there's a lot of excitement. And why wouldn't there be? I mean, this team is a major upgrade in talent. And I think a lot of the frustrating parts from last season were, yeah, they'd go on those long three-point binges, but then they'd also go on long three-point routes where it would be excruciating to watch, where they couldn't throw one in the ocean if they kept chucking them up. Well, this year, I think there's more options even. So, yeah, I, I mean... I, I may not be a fan, but I guess I am a fan, but I'm more of a media. Uh, I'm excited. So the fan base has got to be excited. You better, you, sh- you should flaunt your excitement. Yeah, uh, this is a cool new thing. And it's inter- one of the things that's interesting about this is that you look at the, just the numbers and Isaiah was more productive than Kyrie last year, but now you see Kyrie in this system. Oh, wow. And it it just looks so different. And I was very giddy after watching their first preseason game. I think I tweeted at somebody like, oh, this team's finishing second in offense this year behind the Warriors. Like, I've seen all I need to see. And that was maybe a little bit of an overreaction. No, but if you think about it, not to interrupt you, but if you think about it in that game, I, I, the first game of the preseason, Horford and Kyrie really didn't. I mean, the second game, Kyrie did, played really well in that third quarter. But the first game of the preseason, they just looked so they looked so fluid where Last season and past seasons, they've looked rather choppy at times. They just look very fluid for a team that's not really played together yet. Nick, do you think uh, Kyrie will continue to buy into this style of play? Because obviously the uh, big knock on him stylistically is that he's a one-on-one player, that he likes to dribble and shoot tough shots and ISO. And in Brad Stevens' system, that's a of a death sentence. And that was what made Isaiah so good as he moved around so much. Do you think Kyrie will continue to buy in? I think he has to, right? because. He demanded the trade. He wanted it. He, he has mentioned as cryptic as he's been on so many different topics. One thing he hasn't been cryptic about is 
getting with a uh, coach that he feels will help to make him better. So I think he has to buy in. I mean, it, it's his reputation on the line. It's, it's, you know, his ability to play without LeBron and win on the line and, and also to be coached and to be a good teammate. So I, I think he has to, will he, I don't know. I'm not in his head, but I think so far he's showing all the indications that he will thoroughly, but I think he has to. I want to get a pulse pin here on something too, which is this idea that there's lots of guards here that have a little bit, uh, I'll use a baseball analogy, right? There's, there's no five tool guy here, but there's guys who have exceptional individual tools, offensively, defensively. In Rozier's case, I'm I'm really impressed by him, guys. Yeah. I, I'm sure you are as well as basketball ben, fans, fans. Ben, you are. This is such a recency bias. It's, it's you not, just saw him it's play not, well it's, against your team. No, it's, it's that I've watched him get better now from like each time I've seen him incrementally over the course of two, oh, three man. years, including uh, at Louisville when he was a really good player, um, and you know was behind Russ Smith of all of all players, but uh, or in terms of uh, playing second fiddle. But I guess my question is what's the backcourt for specific matchups? Like, what's the backcourt that's going to be best to to take on in the, like, final five minutes Cleveland as opposed to Golden State or as even opposed to the Washington Wizards? Are we going to be looking at combinations where we see three of them together, where Kyrie might have to take a back seat in some capacity? Talk me through kind of how you see the, the matchups working when you have these many options, but where guys' tools might not necessarily... Uh, be as multifaceted. So the most important thing about the Celtics team is that they have, if you look at what I think is probably going to be their top nine or 10 players, they have like eight guys that can legitimately guard multiple positions. And the only two that you probably say you can't are like, you know, Kyrie is not guarding like six, five wings, right? Like, you know, and, um, you know, Baines probably isn't chasing, you know, sleek fours around the court. Right. But everybody else can guard multiple positions. So if you want to positions don't matter, they don't matter for the Celtics. I mean, mm-hmm. Brad has talked to me about this for years. Like he sees, he sees four positions on the court, which are ball handlers, wings, what he calls swings, which is like Jay Crowder is a swing. Right. And Bix. And sometimes he plays two bigs and sometimes he plays, you know, two, two swings and sometimes he sometimes plays two ball handlers. He does that a lot too. So what does the matchup require? What are you, what are you dealing with at that moment? And you know, how are you going to, how are you going to attack this? I mean, the, the, the guy that we're not talking about, which is really weird, but the guy who's closest to a five tool player on his team is Hayward. And I'm not saying he is, He's like four stars across the board, right? And maybe not yeah. five stars mm-hmm. across the board. Although, you know, some people might disagree with some of that. They might say he's better than you think. And we're going to find out a lot about Gordon Hayward this year, too. Because talk about what Kyrie did. Gordon left a really good situation in Utah that mm-hmm. a lot of people think might be technically better, except that it's in the West. Also a really good coach in Quinn Snyder, you know, and was essentially being, you know, him and Gobert. They, the, the Utah people will tell you that, like, you know, Gobert's the second best player, you know, if we're talking about who's this, who's, you know, Gobert's better than all these other guys. And I, I think that might be right. So he left that situation and forced his way out of it. Um, he left in free agency. It's his right. And that's great. And, you know, good for him. But there's going to be pressure on him. And it's going to be really interesting because he's not, you know, Kyrie is kind of cryptic and weird and whatever. And it's kind of amusing. Hayward is just bland. <laughs> Hayward is as bland as you can possibly get. And on purpose, I think I don't know him that I don't know him at all. Um, uh, but he's, he's got a fancy haircut. He has a though. fancy haircut. Cool. I think he's really good. And I think he's going to, I think he's going to do just fine. But if he starts having problems, if he goes into a slump, you know, I mean, it always, things is like 
cities like Boston always look better when it's easy, when it's good. Like we'll we'll find out a lot when things get get tough. And I'm I'm assuming they will be at some point. I'm spinning all over the place here, but Hayward really fascinates me because, yeah. you know, look, Hayward was the number one goal this summer. He was the number one target. They backed off Paul George. They didn't go in on Jimmy right. Butler. You know, and Kyrie came about because Kyrie came about. That was not that was not something they were set out trying to accomplish this summer. Hayward was the number one target. And, you know, he's the one that changes the dynamic of this team, at least offensively and maybe even defensively, too. Well, he's going to need to be their best wing or their best. Like, I mean, they have smart, but he's going to be their best wing defender. He's a good defender. Right. Because Uh, Gordon, he's a deceivingly good defender. Yeah, but it's interesting that he's kind of got to be the fill-in guy um, with all that. I like what Paul said. I think it's super interesting from his perspective, and like Paul touched on, it's super interesting from Boston's perspective too because, you know, they basically chose him out of an option of three, and that's not a perfect comparison um, because it would have required – it would have required trading people to get uh, those other ones. And I think the Paul George thing was – there was a weird timing issue that we can talk a little bit about and all that whole thing with the Pacers and and all that, but – I mean, Nick, from what you've seen, like, do you does does Hayward stack up with those guys appropriately? Do you think it's kind of a, a perfect fit, or do you think maybe it would have been a smarter move to try to go more aggressively for Butler or George? I, I like the Hayward move. I mean, he's been mentioned for so long um, as being a target, and uh, I think, like Paul said, or one of you guys said, he's four stars across the board, and um, he's young. He's co- we know he's coachable by Brad Stevens, and uh, I think he's he's versatile. I I, I love the, the the move. I'm and I and I, I I technically, you know, talking like a fan. I guess I want a guy who wants to be on our t- on the Celtics, right? And Gordon Hayward wanted to come to Boston after a lot of liberation and deciding. Where Paul Paul George, uh, you know, I don't even know if he wants to be where he is now. So uh, well, the rumors suggest he does not. Exactly. <laughs> so to me, it's it's Gordon was the right move. And I'm I'm happy with it, and I'm happy with what I've seen so far. Um, he's got a long way to go in regards to you know the chemistry, the usual this time of year stuff. Uh, but he's already showing what he can add to this team in, in passing alone. I mean, uh, against the Sixers in Philly, I think he had five or six assists, and they were impactful assists. So uh, he's mm-hmm. a playmaker, and and that's going to be fun to watch. So we got a question from Courtney Kennedy, and and. Uh... Let's see, Paul. You can take this one first. Uh, Hayward is the blank best player in the Eastern Conference. Ooh, where, where would you put him now with with the well, exits? I have it. Where does he fall? I, my rankings are up to in the East. I, I know that's basically <laughs> it. I'm I, I'm not trying to back off this, but my rankings are up to date. I mean, so look, LeBron. LeBron's number one. I you know off the top of my head, I kind of think Giannis might be number two. Um, oh, he is. It, thanks, Mike. I, no, I, listen, whenever Mike says, "Oh, he is," like that, always makes me feel. No, bad no, no, no. I'm not gonna. Yeah, I'm not yeah. gonna pull the Homer card here. Like Giannis is. I'm also a bit of a Giannis. Sure. Homer, so. And I mean, I was gonna you say, know, then, you like his biggest. And fan then, and then, you know, I think Hayward, without going through every name in their mental Rolodex, is probably the next wing up. And you know, like there, and the East is a is a conference of point guards: Lowry and Wall and Kyrie and Isaiah when he's healthy and Kemba Walker and you know on and on and Dragic and on and on and on. So. Um, that's, that's the eat. That's basically it. Damn. <laughs> yeah, no, it really is. I like how it's like not even a full minute discussion anymore. <laughs> There's not even enough players to go over. I have nothing to add to that. <laughs> There's nothing left. Courtney, by the way, also asked Kyrie Irving is the blank best player in the East. Same, same answer. God, same answer. Yeah. Yeah. Recycle that one. 
So I want to talk a little bit, uh, we haven't yet, uh, about Tatum and Brown because like, they're fascinating guys. They play a similar position. Mike is a question. Go, go ahead, Mike. Say oh, man, no, this is a great go, time for the Do Mary Kill. Okay, fine. Go, go right to it. No, no, you can ask it. All right, cool. So we do this. That sounded uh, weird. This is a great time for the Do Mary Kill. Yeah, yeah. Long-time <laughs> listeners know what we're talking about. <laughs> it's a play on that. Um, it's not necessarily. Sorry, I, I, I get really excited about these questions because I think they're. I don't know. Why. All right, well, let's they're play. Let's do Max uh, play and trade. Um, so pick one player here uh, slash asset to Max. Pick one player slash asset to play, uh, and the other to trade. Um, it's interesting here because these guys are. This is not even like really a hypothetical. This was something that Danny Ainge probably thought about this summer, which is right. Ironic. Like Paul said, it's yeah. exactly what he thought yeah. about. And, that's why we're here, right? And so, so between Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, um, and Philly's future number one, which I believe is the Lakers and or Sacramento uh, pick, depending on how that plays out this year and next, what is the asset or player there that you are going to uh, play uh, max or, or trade? The answer is that you trade everything for Anthony Davis. Nice. <laughs> and that's basically it. And, like, people don't want to hear it. Because God forbid, you know, it's like the Celtics have been involved with or not involved with, depending on, you know, how you interpret these conversations with like every single, you know, franchise players come available. But I think most people in the league think that Anthony Davis at some point, you know, assuming this doesn't work with him and Boogie, like will become available and he's the next guy up. And it might be it might take a couple of years, by the way. So, you know, you oh, it will definitely. Take you know, a couple so years. if we're talking about right now. I mean, Marcus Smart is the most important guy to get signed, but I don't think you max him. I think his ability is really, really, really high. I would think I, I've compared him to the backcourt version of Draymond Green, um, which is a little bit mm, of a reach. Good. But that's, good. that's a good comparison, I think. Thanks. I do this for a living. And Draymond didn't get quite the max, but Draymond got a hefty deal. Um, so I think that's, you know, Brown Tatum. I, I need to see more. I, I like both. Yeah. I like their upside a lot, but I need to see more. And then the guy that you need to play more is Rozier because we, you know, I know Ben is on the Terry Rozier bandwagon, <laughs> but we got to see. Yes, like, he, hasn't, he hasn't really been a regular rotation player for 82 games. And then the postseason, like needs to get to a point where like Terry Rozier is coming in the game and he does X, Y, and Z. And you need that every single night. And we still don't know what that is yet. So he's the guy that kind of need to find out a little bit more about. I like how we changed the parameters of the question. I think it's as much better than what I came up with. Seriously. Yeah, yeah. I, I understand it better. Because <laughs> yeah, I think I sent that over and, and Nick was like, what was is like, this huh? question? I've, I, I've listened to the show. I, I still don't really understand how to do it. So we're <laughs> <laughs> It's my fault. It was a weird question. You know, and it's all good. And, and I'm going to do what I did because, you know, he does this for a living. So I'm going to do this like same thing I did the whole show. <laughs> I'm going to piggyback what Paul said and, and agree with him completely. <laughs> they only got four guys. <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah, no, no. <laughs> what more can you say? <laughs> you know, and, and it's true. They're going to have five rookies this year, at least five rookies yep. this year. Now, some of these yep. rookies you're talking are like, I'm counting who they are. You got Tatum, you've got Tice. Teus, uh, Semi Ojale, Yabuselli, and there's somebody else whose name is Abdul Nader. Thank you, Abdul Nader. These guys are not rookies in the sense they're not 19 years old like Jason Tatum. I mean, uh, Tice has been a pro for like almost eight years, 10 years, something like that. And, you know, so it's a little bit different, but that's all they got left. Um, I would, and also I would trade that pick for the right player, no doubt about it. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, right. that this is 
there's only so many answers to this question because they only got four guys left. I'm curious about Tatum in that, you know, they were talking, they made it, we forget with all the stuff that the Celtics did this summer that they traded the number one pick. It sure did. Teams don't trade the number one pick, but the Celtics traded the number one pick, and that was a huge bet on their evaluation of Jason Tatum. So, Or their evaluation of, of Markel Fultz. Well, yeah, I guess I guess it's probably both. Right. It is both. It is both. So I know it's a little bit early, but where, Nick, how much do you see Tatum playing this year? I think uh, similar probably to Jalen last year. You know, I mean, Brad Stevens plays people very situationally, though, and we also know he's not afraid to play the young guys. So you might see more out of him. I think it depends on matchups and, and how he's playing. You know, I mean, that's that's and and honestly, I really see him probably in a, in a Jalen Brown type average minute situation this year. So that's kind of like occasionally playing a lot, but occasionally out yeah. of the rotation. I don't know out of the rotation, but yeah, but he'll have games where he plays 20 minutes plus, and he'll have games where he probably plays eight minutes. You know, I think it just depends on who they're playing against and how he's playing and his defense. Now, Brad's been really bragging his defense up and down uh, recently, so hopefully we'll see some of that as well. They'll definitely impact his minutes. He's so long. Yeah, he, I mean, he is, and he can also create his own shot. Oh, so you have a, so you know, nice. Yeah, you have a system uh, offense, but ultimately when things break down or when it becomes, you know, half-court playoff basketball, and this is where reps during the regular season will pay dividends, should you need to have that guy creating a shot from the wing who isn't Kyrie, um, you know, you could have that in Tatum. Obviously, he's super young, but there are clearly flashes where, you know, last night he had a great play on the defensive end and then took it all the way, and it was, you know, very athletic and fluid and natural, and, and so... You see those glimpses, whereas with Brown, it's not as fluid and natural as everything Tatum does. Doesn't mean it's not as powerful or athletic because Brown has his own, you know, echelon of athleticism and, and just power that very few people in the NBA have. He reminds me of like a combination of, of and this is going to sound really weird, but like a combination of Worthy and Wilkins, uh, that be Brown. Hmm. Now, one thing that mm-hmm. his composure, again, it's early, but his composure seems to be a lot better. Uh, this season than it was last season where you'd see him kind of get into knucklehead situations handling the ball. Um, but he he's finesse and he's got power too. So yeah, definitely every year he comes in, this is year two. He's coming back with, with more ball handling capabilities, no question. And much more confidence. Yeah. And he is a smart kid and he was young last year too, very. which is, you know, obviously very yeah. young for, I'm, for a, I'm a Jalen Brown fan. I am too. Let me let me let me throw in a little bit about Jalen Brown, because Jason Tatum is is clearly like Jason Tatum looks like a basketball player, right? Yeah, he like does. he's got skill. Yeah. Um, Jalen is a little bit more of a blank slate, but he's a really interesting guy. I talked to him quite a bit um, down at training camp, and this will this will be part of a, in the, the preview piece that's coming out later this week. But he had a really interesting approach to his summer where his whole his whole thing was, I'm going to work on the things I don't do well. And, you know, and he's got a lot to do. Uh, Nick mentioned the ball handling. His shot needs to get more consistent. You know, he's got to develop some moves, all that kind of stuff. Uh, He has a chance to be really freaking good. And I don't want to put the worthy thing. The worthy Dominique thing is interesting. I mean, that would be the absolute like high level part, right? But I see a guy. It sounds good, Paul, doesn't it? It sounds good. (laughs) I I see. I see uh, some of I don't know if anyone's old enough to remember Derek McKee. 
Mm-hmm. And yeah, of course. I do. It's not as big as Derek McKee. Derek McKee was really important because he could guard multiple positions back in the day when nobody talked about that, and he was really yep. tall. But Derek McKee didn't score a lot, but he was really good, and he would just would follow Larry Brown from city to city. Larry Brown would always trade for Derek McKee. He had so to have true. Derek McKee with him <laughs> everywhere he went because Derek McKee was a winning basketball player, and he knew what he was going to get with him, and he loved him. You know, And if he had made a few more big shots, he would have been Robert Ory. You know? And so mm. I think there's something – in there that you know Jalen Brown can kind of can kind of get toward. I don't know if he's going to be a superstar at all, but I'm pretty sure he's going to be a really good player for 10, 12 years. And it's going to be really interesting to see how he develops because they're not putting any limitations on him either. They're not putting ceilings on him either. You know, they're like, okay, well, let's see what you can do. And we're going to keep adding to it as 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 you come along, which is a, you know, it's interesting. What did you think about his comments about the we're going back to Isaiah here, bring it all full circle? Recently, he made some question or some comments about the culture, uh, Celtics being so strong on culture, and then kind of putting that all to the wayside when trading Isaiah. What what did you think about that? You know, I think I think it was honest. Probably, oh, we know um, it was honest. But, I mean, it was definitely honest. No, but I mean, look, players are trained not to say not to be honest all the time mm-hmm, in, mm-hmm. in those kind of situations. I think his point was that he made those comments earlier in the summer. And then of course they come out like toward the beginning of the year and blah, blah, blah. I mean, I talked to him about stuff like, I think, yeah, I think they're feeling that way, but like, you know, you get over it. You get like, over it. You're yep. professional. And I'm not saying he needs to get over it, but I'm saying he will get over it because he's a, right. he's, he's a pretty mature 20 year old and he will adapt to the new situation. But I think what he said was totally fair. It, going back to our earlier conversation is like, you know, you, you cannot be around the Celtics in any way, shape or form, whether it's marketing their, their television programming, the watching the games and everything else without them putting the tradition in your face, tradition, tradition, yep. tradition, yep. culture, 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 culture. And at some point players are like, yo, <laughs> and yeah. so I think that's fair. It's a totally fair reaction. Um, you know, my argument would be it's a basketball team, not a marketing operation. But, you know, so in regards to that, I think I think, you know, he was honest in the moment and he's probably has he'll, he will have thoughts that will evolve and develop as we go along because he's a pretty thoughtful kid. I also find that sometimes and I definitely notice this with uh, John Wall and Bradley Beal with that whole brouhaha about. Oh, these guys don't like each other, and they admitted that to not liking each other. Sometimes a very active, like speaking out like this, is sort of therapy in a way. Mm-hmm. You kind of have to let it out in order to move on. And I think that's how I read those comments. And it was, it was more important for him to speak those out in the open, and understand that, like that. Now I'm going to move on. And I think he did. If you read the full comments, mm-hmm. but sometimes you need to sort of let that get out there, and just so everybody knows the score and. I think in, in the Wizards case, I think that was a huge key to why their season was much better last year is that those two finally stopped, you know, hiding the obvious that they are not the same type of person and, yep. you know, that they have they have some differences they need to be able to overcome. And that's OK. Uh, and I think it's the same thing, too, with what Brown said, is that there's some therapy involved in actually speaking. out. And like Paul said, too, that that interview, I don't know when it happened, but chances are it happened a while ago and it just dropped. I mean, as an editor, I know how we hold some things in reserve sometimes <laughs> and it can look a little weird um, when it comes out at the time. It, it's not like he said that uh, during training camp right? either. You know, he got to training camp, he met Kyrie and he saw what that was like. Yeah. yeah you can't alienate the new person because you're upset about the, this is again, transactional things happen in the NBA. Yeah. He could be on the Pelicans by the end of the season. Um, <laughs> yeah. If, yeah. I'm curious <laughs> one, one last point on Brown Tatum. Like I'm curious if you guys think it's more likely that those two are the th- 
starters in five years with, or maybe three years with Hayward, and and those are like two franchise pillars with sort of the yin and yang one offering the scoring, one offering the defense. Is it more likely that happens, or more likely they're both traded for Anthony Davis or some other megastar? Wow. <laughs> wow. That's, I mean, Danny Ainge, Danny Ainge has traded every single player he's ever had, with the exception of Ray Allen, who left as a free agent, and he tried to trade him at least two or three times. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so every the answer player. is Anthony Davis. Every player. Every player gets traded. Every player. Right. Yeah. Right. Man, that Paul Pierce deal. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. I, I was saying that, like, um, the fact that the Nets picks have finally expired and everyone who was involved in it that the Celtics gave up is now on national television working outside of playing in the NBA should say Jay- everything. Jason Terry's still there. Oh, that's right. Is Jason he? Terry. Who's Terry's like, still playing. Oh my he's sneakily like third all time in three pointers made. Yeah, he's too. on Milwaukee. Yeah. Yeah, he's on Milwaukee. That's right. Yeah, the other three, yes, they're yes. all in. Or the other two, they're well, all The hump was in that TV. deal, too. The hump was in that trade. Oh, there you yeah. go. Humphreys, yeah. Is he on the Sixers roster? He's on the right Sixers, now? yeah. He's on the, they booed him on Friday. He got booed. <laughs> Why would you boo Humphreys? I liked him on the Celtics. I thought he was a hard worker. Well, didn't he, didn't he try to injure Ben Simmons? He or? literally bumped into like you know Simmons in the air in transition, really without being prompted by like a push or anything. He may have just I forgotten worked, which team he was on. I worked in Philly for like eight years. <laughs> it, 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 they're just saying hello. Yeah, we don't need a reason yeah. to boo stuff. <laughs> We usually start. I lived in Philly for 38 years. So, uh, yeah, I totally can agree with that. Totally. So I think we've covered most of the big (laughs) stuff with the Celtics this year. I mean, there's so much to talk about with this team. You know, we really we talked about the young guys. We've we've talked about how these guys are going to get integrated. I just I find Kyrie to be just a fascinating person because I think it's it's weird to me how we suddenly know a lot more about him in the last. We I feel like we've learned more as a public about him based on what's come out in the last few weeks than we ever knew about him in the first seven years of his career or whatever. And now it's, and I don't know what I really know about him either. I, I feel like stuff is coming out as misdirection. I, you know, I, I don't want to jump in on that, but I, I, I agree with you on that. I think there's a lot of misdirection, a lot of innuendos. He's cryptic, but he's never not interesting. He doesn't want anyone to. He doesn't want his personality to fall flat. You know. Yeah. <laughs> he wants. He doesn't want it to kind of go around in circles. He wants it to be more of a flat. straight yeah. thing. Yeah. Not Sorry. round. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Right. There was a straight line from this conversation to Mike making that pun. There's your three sixty. Yeah. There you go. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I just I, I'm like I don't know, Paul. You've it's you barely you've barely got a chance to interact with him because you just got here. But what have you? What do you? know about him personally and how is he gonna not much fit into yeah i mean what what is this like something that's worth being fascinated by and paul Paul, real quick piggyback on that do you see any rub from lebron's personality in what you're getting from Kyrie? because it definitely feels like he's learned some of the weird innuendo the weird how to speak Uh, without speaking i I feel like that's a direct response against lebron (laughs) okay okay um nah i i've been around him a little bit only, only during the finals which is you know it's like covering a team on (laughs) <laughs> it's, I was about to use, it's like covering Steroids? a team in acid. Like you're, you're, you're around them every day for like two and a half. Not that I have much experience with acid, but you're, you're, you're around them every day for two and a half weeks and you're allowed to talk to them way more than you're allowed to talk to them during a regular season. And so you get these glimpses, these real glimpses. And you know, every once in a while you see things that you normally wouldn't see in a regular season scenario situation. But with Kyrie, you see less. And like he, he keeps it so button, uh, buttoned up and, you know, t- 
plays it to the vest that I don't really know what to make. And I've had so many people suggest to me that he's the most fascinating person in the NBA. And I keep saying, why? And I think it's because of what Mike said, which is we feel like we know a little bit more about him, but we then we realize we don't know anything about him. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it may be that there's more. It may be that there's less. I don't know. But I, you're going to find out a lot because when you are one of the best players on a really good team that gets challenged in the playoffs, you will find out an awful lot about somebody in a way that LeBron God love him. LeBron takes up so much airspace and so much oxygen and he covers for everyone else in every situation. Now you get, you will get criticized. You will get hung out to dry here and there and you will have your moments where you are the star like Kyrie was, but it will always come back to LeBron in a way that it will now come back to Kyrie and Gordon Hayward. So true. It's, it sounds like he wanted that, but I, you know, be careful what you wish. Yeah, I was gonna say, I'm gonna say. Uh, absolutely. absolutely. I think that is the thing that we know about him now is that he wanted this. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Well, I'll say this: when, when the lightning rod gets hit and and the uh, the person standing below it doesn't, it's a different situation. And that this in this case, LeBron I'm, is an accepting lightning figure, rod. I'm trying to figure out how this works. Well, I, I mean, have this weird vision in my head yeah. of, of Kyrie getting struck by lightning, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, then, and then thinking like, how could that possibly happen? Where's but, uh, LeBron? Yeah. No, it's. Yeah, no, it's just, I just think it's interesting because I'm, I'm someone who, uh, you know, I, I give LeBron a lot of benefit of the doubt when it comes to the way he plays mind games with uh, other players uh, on other teams as well as his, his teammates. And, and ultimately, like if the goal is to be in the championship and to be winning titles, and, and I find it's, it's always interesting when people don't want to be a part of that because there has to be some actual reason on a personal level. And we found that out. Um, but a lot of other people just stomach that for the, you know, for this, for the sake of it and say, fuck it. I want to be in the title I, championship game. I want to, you know, uh, have a, a, a clear path to the NBA championship. And usually that's on the heels of, uh, on the shoulders. Or of he LeBron. got so, out, he got, he got out of, got out of dot yeah. a year on time. That's yeah. right. In this case, yeah. We, yeah. In this case, the writing is, is more or less uh, on the wall. Hey, for hey Nick, do you, do you think Celtics fans will embrace, like, obviously if, if he wins, they'll embrace him. Do you think he has to do anything more uh, personality-wise uh, to be embraced on the same level as perhaps wow. maybe not Isaiah, but sort of? I'm just curious. He, he how will the city like? He doesn't seem to me to be as naturally chip on the shoulder, like kind of as Kyrie is, or as uh, Isaiah was. It didn't. It doesn't quite fit the city ethos as as much. I mean, is this? I don't know. I think I think the city just wants to see him play hard, lead the team, and win. Uh, they'll come down hard on him if he doesn't, uh, like you guys said, he's the fall guy, uh, when that, ha if, and when they go through a rough stretch, but I think it, it's all about what happens on, on, on the court. I mean, they, the Celtics fans adored Rajon Rondo who gave them nothing except for like really cool <laughs> outfits that we could all laugh about after the fact, you know, he, he, you know, Rondo was probably one and Paul could tell you, tell you this, he was so testy, you know? And, um, so I don't think it is so much what the player is going to give to the media uh, as it is what the player is going to do on the court. I guess it's very – if you're, you're winning, you're, you're Boston will love your different that's, personality. Yeah, I mean, that's usually yeah, what it works. It doesn't Look take at, much to rebrand it. Larry Bird never yeah, talked I mean, to anybody. I think, I think that's true. Ever. Yeah. I, I think it's true. Maybe I'm just more fascinated by Kyrie as a person as like a neutral observer. I just, I don't think you could script two people that are more unlike personality, different personality wise than Isaiah and Kyrie. Um, no. All right, we'll wrap it. We're wrapping this up. Uh, before we end this thing, uh, we have to ask the question that we ask everyone on these shows. Uh, and, you know, Nick, I'll, I think I'll start with you with this one. Um, 
you are on a banana boat a la LeBron, D-Wade, CP, uh, Melo. Uh, D-Wade took the picture, so whatever. It's Let's say there are four of you on the boat, just like them. Uh, it's you, and you get to pick three other members of Celt- from Celtics history to join you. This is kind of like your ideal vacation trio uh, from Celtics history. Who are you picking and why? Oh, man. All right. So uh, definitely Paul Pierce. Uh, because he looks like he probably likes to tip on back and party a little bit. Uh, and he's a good ball buster. Mm-hmm. So we'll go with Paul Pierce there. Uh, I think I'll throw Kevin McHale in because uh, he's funny as hell. I don't know if you guys have ever talked to him, but he's a hilarious guy. And who will be my third, man? Uh, a lot of choices in Celtics there's history. A lot of choices. Maybe, you know, maybe I'll throw in Tommy Heinsohn, you know, just because uh, uh, he'll dress funny and, and drink a lot and, you know, keep us all and make us all behave. That makes sense. He'll drink a lot and help you all behave yeah, at the same that time. That makes no sense. Um, you know what I meant, though. Yeah. Just pretend you. Did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just pretend. <laughs> He'll all make no, us that, drink. <laughs> I mean, I yeah, that know. that'll be a pretty uh, Pierce, uh, a pretty Pierce Heinsohn and who is Owen McHale? That's that's a pretty. Oh, that'll be very fun. That'll be a pretty fun fun banana boat. Yeah, I remember I asked Paul. I know you had some different answers to this. So yeah, uh, well, the, you Paul Pierce is actually uh, is a is a is a pretty good boater. <laughs> no, there you go. Say. I knew that. <laughs> but he's uh, he's he's really into deep sea fishing, and he loves to. I talked to him once about this for a long time. Uh, he loves to go loves to go deep sea fishing. So he he'd be good on a boat. But yeah, I have three completely different answers. Uh, the first person would be Bill Russell, because you just anything Celtics has to start with Bill Russell. Um, I, I, I the would second, fall out of the boat, Paul. I, I'd fall right out of the boat if Russell was in there with me. Well, you know, uh, the second would be Kevin Garnett. Um, I spent five years around him um, trying to understand what made him tick. I felt like I did as well as I possibly could under the situation, under the circumstances, <laughs> which was not always accessible. Um, and now we always had a, a pretty fun, weird relationship um, where he would talk to me sometimes just uh, we about the most random shit. And, you know, I always thought that was good. So I would like to, you know, I'm on a boat. He can't go anywhere. He can't hide right. in his room. <laughs> you know, he can't, he can't cut it off after three minutes and be like, all right, you all good. And then walk out the door. Like he'd have to stay there on the boat and answer my questions finally. Um, and then the third would be Bill Walton. And I would like to talk to Bill, would like to talk to Bill about uh, going to Egypt with the dead in 78. And I would like to ask him once and for all if Patty Hearst was staying, was, was in his house when he was playing uh, uh, with the Blazers. And, you know, I would like to talk to, and then I would just shut up and I would let those three guys talk to each other and, you know, just listen to the conversation. And I think that would be a pretty enjoyable day. It's funny because all my, all my choices were revolving around partying and uh, having a great time. And Paul's were all journalistic, man. You are, you are a beacon of journalism. That is just fantastic. Except for maybe the, the, uh, the, the Patty Hearst thing. Although that would be really interesting. Oh, I'd be fascinated to know. I mean, so they, it's never been clear. He's never fully oh, I, answered that, that question. <laughs> that was a joke. It was a joke on the 86 Celtics. Whenever Walton would get on the bus, Mikhail would start busting his chops and be like, hey, Bill, is it true that you hit a Patty Hearst in your house? Uh, <laughs> but, you know, I mean, if you go back and look at if you go back and look at Walton's time in Portland, he was a he was a radical uh well, he was an activist. He was a radical activist, and he was living with a guy, Jack Scott, who turned out to be an FBI informant. It's a fascinating story. Uh, yeah. 
But, you know, there's a lot going on there. But I love The Grateful Dead, and I would just love to talk to Bill about the dead. I think I would do that for about five hours. And you do have to think about boat chemistry as well. Um, yeah. You can't boat have – and I think that's <laughs> – that, you do. It's like a basketball team. You know, you can't um, you can't change 11 players out. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> you can't change 11 boaters out and fix it. No, you do have to think about – you know how they interact with each other, but it, that's the great thing about Celtics history is you can pick any three players and uh, have very different experiences, and those are both really enjoyable experiences to have on a boat. Um, it's just Banana that's boat. there's so many, yeah, there's just so many people, and I I would have probably gone more along uh, Nick's line just personally, like I would have wanted Tommy Heinsohn as a ball buster. I would have wanted Paul Pierce and Kevin McHale. I think that sounds. Good, but I also am like super interested in the stories that uh, Paul would get out of his, and it's not just from a journalist perspective. Just like those are just For fun sure. stories life, to hear about. Life just life. Yep. 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 Yeah. Absolutely. Although I do think that KG might try to use Russell to shield himself. From I him. agree. I was thinking the no. same thing. No. No. Russell, Russell would. Russell would. Russell would make him talk. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> I mean, if you have there's video of, of Russell and KG, like KG just melts like a like my four year old does when, when I'm talking to him, like in, in the presence of Bill Russell, he just like just completely melts. So, yeah, I think that'd be pretty good. That's true. I forgot about that. Yeah. yeah. Oh, see, that's not that's boat chemistry for you. That's uh, that's well crafted. Um, all right. Let's talk about what we think is going to happen this year. Uh, Nick, let's start with you. Um how many wins do you think they get the one seed in the East this year? Yes or no? Oh, yes or no. No, I'm going to say no. Cause LeBron is out on a mission right now saying he wants to be MVP of the regular season. Let him do it and get tired for the playoffs. Uh, win wise, I'm going to put them right at where they were last year. I'm going to put them right at 53 wins. And uh, I'm going to pretty much say the first couple weeks of the season will probably be a little rocky and then they'll pick it up, and it's really how you finish, not how you start. Fifty-three wins. I can see Cleveland winning fifty-five in that in that area if LeBron is really on the mission he's saying he's on, or everybody's saying he's on. Right, Paul. What is what has to happen this year for it to be a successful year for them? Well, yeah, that's a that's a that's a weird question because I kind of feel like they're probably going to wind up in almost exactly the same place they were last year, which is in that fifty-win range. Um, if Cleveland wants a top seed, I think they can get it, and I think they'll probably wind up playing each other in a conference final. But you know, I mean, Toronto and Washington are still going to be good. They could lose. They could do exactly what they did last year in the same spot and feel like they're better positioned for the next three to four years because of the way the cap stuff falls. And you know, I mean. They they feel like with Kyrie and Hayward and Horford that they are now more of a destination for players who are like, I want to be a part of that because those are three legitimate all stars, whereas last year they had one, maybe two. And so I think that that's, you know, I think it, this is as much about the next three years as about this year in specific. Um, but I just can't I can't see any team in the East beating the Cavs as long as LeBron is is fully operational. I just don't see it. Yeah, it's a weird sort of season of expectations. They're almost playing with house money, but at the same time, it's also super important that they hit the ground running decently well because otherwise, because of how much they've changed, it's it's weird to see a team that changes this much and makes this many wholesale changes, and yet <laughs> they don't have to... Like, you look at some of these other teams that made these huge moves, like Houston and Oklahoma City and Minnesota. Like, they got to win a yeah. lot of games. They're playing just for that's right. And the Celtics make all these moves as if they, they, they make today moves, but it almost doesn't really matter if they win the East or not. It's sort of a bizarre, a bizarre type of thing. 
Yeah, I think that's right. And I think, I think, you know, I mean, I, I think they're going to be about the same. They'll tell you that they think they will be a better playoff team, but they might have the exact same results. It just maybe won't be so hard, right? Mm-hmm. It won't be so hard yeah. to scratch out offense in the last five minutes of a, of a playoff game as it had been past. So I think that's really what, you're, what we're looking at with them. I'm actually quite bullish on them this year. I think more so than some people uh, are. I just think I looked at the way they played offense in the preseason. I know it's the preseason. You look at just the parts they have. They're going to be. They're going to have some problems on defense this year. I think. Yeah, it will, rebounding will be an adventure. Yeah, what I they I would not be surprised if they're a bottom half of the league defense. I just think they're going to have too many nights where they don't have enough parts. They don't have enough big guys. They don't have enough. Sort of that three-four stopper. I, I I think they're going to struggle on defense, but I think their offense is going to hit the ground running. And I'm going to reaffirm my prediction. I think they'll be the second best offense in the NBA. I think they will have a better regular season offense than Cleveland, than Houston, than Denver. I just think it's going to work so well. And part of it is because I'm you know one player we haven't talked a lot about is Al Horford. I'm just very confident in his ability to fit in. I think Hayward's the right personality type and the right versatility type to fit around Kyrie. I think Horford's going to have a big. I think he's going to have a big year. I I think he's way more comfortable. I've talked to him about this. He's way more comfortable with the city. He's way more comfortable with the with the surroundings. And I think that Kyrie specifically and Hayward both complement his game tremendously. And I think he's just going to have a real. I mean, we're talking Al Horford. He's not going to have an Anthony Davis style big year, but I think he's right. going to have a big year. I think his numbers are going to go back to where they had been, and he'll be talked about for All Star teams and all the rest of it. I agree with that. Yeah. I agree too. I think he was a little. He's a he's really a, a third option at this point. Now he's kind of sinking back in the role that he really belongs in. I think he had to do a little bit too much of the offensive burden last year, but he's back where he should be. This is why I really wanted to go to the Wizards because I felt like he could have gone <laughs> slid right in as a third guy. Done every team, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think he's gonna have a big year. I think they're gonna be really good offense. I think they will win more games in the regular season. I think Cleveland will beat them in the playoffs, but I think that the Celtics will have the one seed this year in the East again. Well, I would like to, uh, this is, you know, uh, the more I can stay home during the playoffs, the better it is, for, <laughs> the better it is for my family and the better it is for our travel budget. So yeah, that's good. Yeah. So I would say something like second in offense, 15th in defense, 54 wins and the one seed is what I think. I, like, I just think that offense is it's going to be really hard to stop them on a, on a regular basis. And I don't think people fully comprehend the offensive upgrades that they've made. Even though Isaiah and Jay had great numbers last year, I mean, those Hayward and and Kyrie are just so much more versatile, so much better playmakers. They just give back a lot on the defensive end. But uh, I just think they're going to the, the offense is going to fit in so well. Um, I'm very bullish on that. And they were just defensively, they might have some problems, but you know, I, I think it's going to, even though they have a lot of new parts, like I actually think they're going to kind of start off really fast. Like I think it, I think it's all going to kind of click. Um, maybe I'm being too optimistic, Nick. I don't yeah, know. I don't, I'm just keeping expectations on the lower side, I guess. Uh, I mean, it is a tough schedule at the front end of the season, so we'll see what happens, you know. I mean, I'm looking forward to opening night. Paul, will I see you at Cleveland in Cleveland? No, I will not be in Cleveland. That should be an interesting atmosphere. So that's the Celtics, uh, team preview number 27 of 30. We're almost done. We've only got three teams left, Houston, San Antonio, and the Warriors. But the Boston Celtics, this was terrific. Paul Flannery from SBNation.com, thank you. No problem. Nick Gelso from CLNS Radio. And Where can they find you on the interwebs? And Celtics blog. At CLNS underscore Nick. That easy. 
And you guys have those reports at the end of each Celtics home game uh, for people to check out. Yeah, all the full-length pressers from every game and then a, a quick post-game report on the parquet. Every home game and a bunch of road games, too. It all depends. I will be sure be watching that team closely this year. So thank you guys hey, so much for coming thank on. Thank you. And until next time, this is the Limited Upside Podcast. We're back with a little bit of bonus limited upside here for this Celtics preview. I lost a bet like two years ago to a former co-worker. He's now at Axios. He was formerly of Vox Media and SB Nation. His name's AJ Frucci. And uh, he's a longtime listener, fan of the pod, but ultimately just one of those people who I have had many sports arguments with. He's a diehard Celtics fan. In losing this bet, I had to give him a platform here to put his predictions on the record and to give us his two cents on the 2017-2018 Celtics. So welcome to the podcast, AJ Frucci. How you doing, man? Well, thank you for that really warm introduction, Ben. <laughs> and I don't remember what the bet is that you lost, but I'm, I'm glad that you did, and I'm glad that you're holding up your end of the bargain. Thank, yeah, I don't need it anymore either. Um, probably it's something to do with <laughs> the Cavs or the Eastern Conference, or it could have even been like the Celtics getting the number one. Uh, seed in the East. Right. Who knows at this point? But long road, from, long road from that team to this team, man. So, uh, in a nutshell, I'm gonna get a couple things down here because uh, we don't have all the time in the world. But I do want to know um, in in one word what your thought is on this this past off season. If you were to say, I feel blank about the way this off season went down, what would that be? You're gonna have a hard time getting me to do one word. I feel ultimately excited, but it was an emotional, an emotional journey. Yeah, that's a lot of words. It, it, emotional might be the way to sum that all up, but in a good way. Yeah, that's true. Cool. Yeah, no, it's it's interesting, man. Like in the last part of this podcast with with Nick and Paul, like there's an optimism that comes with a little bit of sadness when you have a relationship with someone, but you know it's supposed to end. We'll call it Isaiah Thomas here. It was house money from the beginning. Uh, so to ultimately make that into, you know, the players at hand here with Kyrie and, and Hayward and obviously the next steps of uh, whatever you'll get from Brown, Tatum, Rozier, Smart. There's just so much to be excited about. And, and I think it's hard to say how far can a team who was the number one seed go up, right? But with that in mind, where do you see them finishing this year, man? What is the, <laughs> what is the official A.J. Frucci prediction for, for this team? Well, uh, all right, my official prediction, and I have to cut this off in terms of uh, just how outrageous I'm willing to go. So I'm going to give you the, the, official, the official prediction. I am optimistic, uh, especially the regular. I don't really buy the regular season struggles. Um, I think that uh, I, in Brad Stevens, we trust, to put that succinctly. So I'm pegging the Celtics as the number one seed in the East with a 59-23 and 23 regular season record. Um, and a crushing Game 7 home loss to Isaiah Thomas, LeBron James, and the Cleveland Cavs in the Eastern Conference Finals. 
That's comprehensive. First off, I like the 59-win projection. I'm also on board with you. I think you trust in Brad Stevens to make these pieces work. You trust in the fact that you've got proven winners in, in Hayward uh, and Kyrie here who say what you want, but these guys came from good teams. and not like they both just came from like the Sixers. And, and, uh, and the narrative yeah. that Kyrie like, yeah. can't lead his own team because he didn't, the Cavs weren't good with LeBron off the floor and a LeBron system or because he didn't lead them to the playoffs as a 22-year-old is, yeah. is hogwash. I agree. He's going to be great. He's going to be great. He's everything Isaiah was and and has all, you know, basically more. Yep. So who, uh, uh, I think I think he's perfect for the system. And uh and who who's going to score more points this year per game, Tatum or Brown? I'm going to go Brown. Hmm. I'm going to go Brown. More playing minutes probably too, more more opportunity. And then I just think uh I think he's a pretty underrated offensive player. Uh I think he can get to the hole. I think his corner he shoots like forty four percent from corner threes, and I think he's just gonna get more consistent burn. If I were to say this is going to be a team that wins the Eastern Conference, how do you think they would match up with Golden State in a hypothetical championship? Well, they're long. They've they they have a ton of versatility in terms of their lineups. Um they've historically played uh, Golden State fairly well, uh, although although you know that was a lot to do with Avery Bradley, I think who's gone. But uh, I think they match up better than most. I don't think I, I think it would be silly to say they would win. I think mm-hmm. it's Golden State's championship to lose, and as long as none of their top four players get hurt, mm-hmm. um, I don't see anybody stopping them. So I'm going to keep my optimism short of that. But I I think they can hang. I think they they have they hang in terms of staying competitive with the coaching matchups and having a lot they could throw at. Golden State in terms of in terms of lineup variation, and, and then aside from and Kyrie's Cleveland, obviously been on that stage yeah, before, and Kyrie's yeah. done it and proven it. Absolutely, so. absolutely, and, and I, I mean Horford's played some big games in his career as well. Obviously not in the NBA Finals, but it's not like there are only young guys. And I've, generally speaking, have a good mix of young and old, um, and a lot of brand new players. We'd mentioned this. You know, earlier in the uh, in the other part of the pod, but you know, Kelly Olynyk was the last guy from that new era, and he's gone. So it's you know, Marcus Smart's the longest tenured. Celtic, yeah. and that is it. Yeah. And no one has mentioned, no one has really talked about that. Marcus Morris has sort of been forgotten, but mm-hmm. in terms of like a versatile four uh, who can play great, like one up defense, yeah. uh, I think he's going to be a big piece of our lineups as well. So uh, we'll, we'll get to the end here, which because I know, you know, I wanted to keep this brief and add a little bit more uh, flavor to this Celtics preview. And part of that is actually getting like a legitimately massive fan who's from New England, not just the writers who we always have on. And, and, and I want to know, real, big picture here. This type of team, the players they have in place here, is this a team that's going to bring a title back to Boston in the next five years? Uh, I would say, I would say yes. Uh, and the variables that I would say yes under are one that Golden State they can't win every year forever. There's some age, <laughs> there's some contracts, there's some injuries. Like it's just, it's just I get like there's just no precedent for winning more than uh, more than four years of this kind of dominance. Mm-hmm. I think LeBron's getting older. Uh, I think that Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum's development is going to be key as well as, you know, if we are fortunate enough to get another great pick from Sacramento or the Lakers. Uh, And then don't sleep, don't sleep on the brow. Don't sleep on the Horford and a couple picks for Anthony Davis trade 18 months from now. Yeah. I mean, this came up in the earlier part of the podcast, but uh, the idea of like a Brown Tatum and the pick there's, you know, Anthony Davis, should things go terribly wrong or, or Boogie punches him in the face of practice or something like that? You know, the it's idea that Anthony Davis... It's only a matter of time. It's, yeah, time. it's not yeah. if, it's when. Yeah, I know, for sure. It's, the, it's the, league, the league's biggest open secret that the Celtics are planning for Anthony Davis sometime yeah. in the next 48 uh, or two years, I should say. Yep, and I mean, and look, he makes a lot of sense. He seems like a, a really good fit from... <laughs> 
not that there's a team that Anthony Davis wouldn't fit well on, but uh, it goes without saying that Ainge will have his his ear to the uh, to the ground, listening for for all the little rumblings coming from from New Orleans, with which there will probably be be many. Um, cool, man. Well, look, I I don't want to have to make this the shortest possible bet that I did lose, but I I honored it here. You uh you you gave me an on the record prediction. You've done your part. <laughs> I've done my part. If I if I start paying up though for all the bets I've lost where I offer time on this podcast, all of my friends would be hosting this by now. So I uh you know. well, it makes me feel very special that I'm the one that was able to peer pressure peer pressure you enough to make you follow through. Yes. Well once you went to that powerful news breaking organization, Axios, and everybody uh check that out. AJ is over there now. He's uh, right. uh helping to push that product forward and it's a good one. I'm a fan of Axios and everyone should uh, be watching or listening to Vox.com and then and then using Axios as well as another news source. Appreciate the plug, my friend. Of course. I appreciate you having me on. All right. Anytime, man. Take care. And until next time, everybody, this is the Limited Upside Podcast.